Hello and welcome to What, what the Zen, our space to delve deeper into what health really means. We explore the rituals and practices available in an ever-evolving industry and what these can do for us. So Parween, welcome to What the Zen. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm super excited to talk to you guys about all things money. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on. We were just kind of briefly talking before we started recording here about how financial health is something that, you know, we, we neglect to talk about in this realm and also sometimes with our friends and family. But really, at least for us and most people that I know, most of our stress really comes from money and finances and all the things that kind of go along with that. So we're really excited to get chatting to you today with with everything like that. Yeah. So how's your week been so far? Week's been good. It's been busy. I'm actually in the middle of uh, launching my new website and oh, my private one-on-one coaching program. So that's actually going to go live tomorrow, August 27th. Sorry. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Um, yeah. So can't you're super busy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You've been busy. I love it. That's so exciting. Um, yeah, I guess before we kind of get into like the nitty gritty and all the, we've got a lot of questions. Um, yeah, we'd love if you could just tell us a little bit about your, your background, your story, what kind of, what you do led you to what you do and yeah, a bit of a, an intro into what, what it is that you do. Yeah, for sure. So I'm Parween. I'm an accredited financial counselor, trauma of money facilitator, and overall millennial money coach for women of color from immigrant upbringings uh, specifically. My money story started when I was 16. Growing up in an immigrant household, uh, money was lacking. Money was a source of fear and anxiety and just insecurity for me because I witnessed how having a lack of money meant um, lack of power, control, all those things. And that, so that really influenced my own desire for financial independence at a young age. 10 years later, at the age of 26, I've hit my six figure net worth of 100K. And in between, yeah, I know. Thank you. Uh, and in between, it just took a lot of work for me to, you know, rewrite my own money story, uh, educate myself with financial literacy, because it's obviously not the best topic. A, that's not really te- uh, taught to us. And also, um, it's kind of boring uh, if you're not really into mm-hmm. it. Um, and so I did all those things and that's where I am today. And so now I'm on a mission to empower other women from a similar background like myself, um, to honestly become rich and, um, be independent for themselves. I love it. I love it. I love everything. I love that. <laughs> and I love that because I feel like we'll get into this more, but like, I feel like there's so many, um, weird, like, um, emotions and things like hangups with money, um, yes. that are probably like inherited from, you know, how we grew up or maybe like our friends and stuff like that. But um, to hear somebody say that, you know, they just, they want to make a lot of money. Like even that's like something that not isn't like seen really as like socially acceptable. And that's, it's okay to say that you want to make money and be comfortable, but it's just refreshing to hear you say that because we don't really hear that that much. No. Yeah. It's kind of like a taboo, like don't say that out loud, but now now it's such a movement of like, say your goals out loud. It's like, okay but not that one not about money <laughs> yeah no for sure that, that comes down to like a money narrative that we all sort of 
grow up with, right? Oh, rich people are are rude, they're mean, they're evil, having a lot of money means I would become that. And so I need to, so you know, we don't strive for those things. And particularly as a woman, as an eldest daughter in an immigrant household, you know, my parents sort of taught me to kind of grow up and rely on my husband or a future male of the household to take care of me. So I wasn't really empowered financially to do that for myself. Um, so there's, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of things that will kind of work out in the background um, of those messages and stories that we kind of hear growing up that influence us. Yeah. And just to go back to your intro, Parwain, as well. So um, you called yourself a financial ther- therapist, financial counselor. Sorry. Financial counselor. Yeah. I'm a credit financial counselor. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and kind of what a money coach is and the difference between going to a, like a money um, counselor as opposed yeah. to maybe like going to your bank and talking to them or a financial advisor? Like what's the different kind of purpose of yeah, that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the easiest way is kind of talking about what a financial advisor does versus what they don't do. Um, so a financial advisor is great for someone who can help manage uh, your investments, help protect your assets, like your home and your family, insurance, all that stuff, and understand like your retirement needs right? But what they can't do and what they aren't paid for is sort of understanding your uh, own money story, your budgeting needs, your debt situation, identifying your spending triggers. They're not they're not paid to do those things. And so a financial coach is actually great first step before you get to a financial advisor, because at least you can solidify a solid foundation and have money set aside that you can invest um, so that you can utilize their services better. But you're not going to get the holistic mindset and financial literacy aspect um if you went straight to a financial advisor because honestly they don't care they need to make mm-hmm. a, a sale they'll take your money they don't care if you have debt or they won't ask those questions um so yeah hopefully that answers the question yeah um so like you would see people more as like a person instead of kind of a, a stat or like a risk percentage whereas like that's maybe what when you go to maybe someone else it's, and they, they can be great for certain things that you need but if you're there for seeking help um maybe not so much because you're not seen as a person so much whereas you see okay like you said your triggers things like yeah. that you take more into consideration yeah, yeah cool. absolutely absolutely yeah That's cool um so you work primarily with millennials is that correct yeah correct. so what are kind of some common money mindsets that you would come across in in the, the clients that you coach are there any kind of key things that um always seem to crop up with that particular demographic yeah for sure i think the main one is just having a lack of confidence when it comes to money management my clients come in saying like you know that they suck with money that they're so terrible and there's just all language of shame and embarrassment when it comes to um, how they view money um, so the first thing we want to do is one work to re-identify ourselves as someone that is good with money because if you're constantly stuck in this idea that oh, i'm terrible with money and i suck with money guess what you're gonna behave and make decisions that align with that identity so we need to first shift that right and uh, we do that through one going through their sort of history of you know what what were they taught growing up and what were their parents doing with money? And what were some of those lessons that they've kind of held on to? And so some of the common ones like, oh, making money is hard and it's even harder to keep it. Um, I need more money in order to save. What I'm making is not enough. Um, I'm not smart enough with money. 
all along those lines. And so um, that's just something really common that I see with um, this demographic in particular. But since I work primarily with um, also just immigrant women, mm-hmm. again, there's that complexity of the culture that's involved as well. Right. And so, again, that comes to like your role in the household, like the male versus female um, and just like what is appropriate for a woman to do, what's not appropriate for a woman to do and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. On on that note, you know, you said you primarily work with people um, like immigrant women of color. Um, how, how do you work with people so that you're still you know, trying to shift a mindset, but still, you know, respect that, still respect their culture and maybe a lot of things that are still important to them, you know, like that's still an important value. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just different um, to what we have here, like in Canada, where we are, you know, how do you kind of find that balance? Yeah, I think for one, I don't force anything upon my clients, right? We adjust and we make a plan that is relatable and applicable to them. And so an an important part of that is not passing on any judgment, right? So if you have certain religious beliefs, if you have certain cultural norms, et cetera, it's very important that we honor those and we don't try to, you know, move against those unless, of course, it's harming them in any way, whatever that Mm -hmm. might be. Um, but I do my best not to, um, to respect those things. I mean, it's the same thing with other religions, like maybe Christianity or Catholicism about giving 10% of your wage or earnings to back to the church, right? 10% is a lot, but same time, <laughs> yeah. it's part of your religion. Like if that's what you, um, value doing, then that's what you value doing. And that just means that you have to be smarter with your allocation of where you spend your money, uh, beyond that. Right. So it, it's all about creating an ecosystem that works for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think like the the cultural attitudes to money, like it's so complex and like it's so multi-layered. Um and like yeah, you can go really deep into it. Like we we're both from Ireland originally and in mm-hmm. Ireland as well, like where we're from, I don't know, like maybe not all families, but um a lot of like my family and friends, it's considered like really rude to talk about money or yes to talk about like what salary you're on or even I think in terms of like going for jobs and saying what your salary expectations are like that's something that like it gives me the fear I'm like well how much like how do I um what am I worth yeah like how do I value like my my worth and like is it gonna seem too grabby if I ask for this much or maybe I should ask for this and I'll have more of a chance of getting it yeah what kind of tools are um techniques do you use to kind of help people realize those kind of like embedded habits that they have and embedded attitudes that they have to money because I feel like sometimes when that's all you kind of know or that's the way that you've been brought up it's very difficult to shift those mindsets and I know especially with with women there's so many stats around women you know struggling to ask for the money that they deserve uh for you know jobs and promotions and things like that as well so yeah it'd be great to just kind of get your insight into how can we how can we recognize these and how do we stop them or how do we change the way that we think yeah that's a good question honestly i struggle with it myself too in my career like okay how do i ask for a raise how do i ask for what i'm worth um stuff like that and i think for me when I pass on to some of my clients as well, is to go in with a plan, 
right? So if you are interviewing for a job or you are asking for that raise, it's understanding what your worth is. What have you delivered on? What is the expectation of the role and how have you over delivered? And set that time period for yourself so that you can set, have that conversation with your manager. Check in with them once, ask them what you need to do, ask for a meeting in six months, and then have that conversation then. And honestly, I think it also comes down to valuing yourself and valuing your own worth because we feel unworthy, right, of this money. That's what it comes down to. We feel yeah, we deserve it, but we at some level feel unworthy of asking for that because we might not be, you know, uh, embodying that feeling. Um, and so it's so important that we feel uh, valued where we are currently. And if you're not getting that at your current role or workspace or wherever it might be, even if you're a freelancer and you're undercharging, it's the same aspect, um, then it's something that you want to reconsider about, okay, where can my skills, my skill sets be better used? Um, yeah, so hopefully that's a little helpful. Yeah, I feel like that's something that is being talked about a little bit more and it's kind of like know your worth, ask for it. But I do still feel like it's one thing to talk about it and be like, yeah, yeah. know your worth. And then to be sitting in that room, whether it's like one on one or one on two, whatever, and like actually having that conversation just, you know, it, yeah. it almost feels like a confrontation like I think we've yeah. all been there even like that feeling sometimes of like asking for a vacation in your work you're kind of like you're like yeah. oh my god okay this is my reasoning this is strategy my, yeah, yeah this is my plan my hands are getting sweaty and red faced and you know that kind of like plan and like script I had in my mind that I was going to say falls to pieces is like you can sometimes crumble in that room but like you said if you know you go if you do go in there with somewhat of a script and you can't stick to it you know you can always ask to have another meeting like you can talk about it again like it's not like a one and done yeah type of situation and I think that yeah like remembering that whoever you're talking to has probably been in your position before mm-hmm. um and that you know asking for like a second meeting or yeah. following up with an email if you can maybe word it better in yeah. an email or something I don't know yeah I I think it's like that struggle with being direct and just like asking for what you want yeah because I feel like it also for me anyway it comes down to like what will they think of me if I'm going in and asking for this yeah and oh I just I I want money for doing my job (laughs) (laughs) I love to kind of work on shifting that mindset more but I think it probably just comes with like practice and being prepared and having the evidence to back it up is a really good tip as well because then it's it's there in black and white and you are being direct and you can't argue with facts yeah exactly I think it's if you go in with you know not the factual you know evidence and just like oh I feel like I deserve a raise like that's where you're going to get into those awkward conversations where it's like well they'll be like why why do you think so and if you're not prepared then that's obviously not a productive use of of anyone's time and so just arming yourself with that knowledge and that information and honestly just pumping yourself up before that meeting um mm-hmm. is so key and like you said um it doesn't have to be the only conversation if it's a no then ask to circle back in three to six months like can we revisit this what do you need from me in order to get to that next level mm-hmm. right and so keep that door of communication open and if you're having one-on-ones with your manager or whatever it might be every two weeks same thing try to um, always touch on an aspect or a project that you're working on and um, providing updates on it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's really good advice, so coming back to it. Um, and then going back, because that kind of touches on, you know, you might be nervous talking about money you're worth just with whatever your past experiences have been with money or the household you grew up with, with the, you know, 
oh, like, we're going to talk about money now. You all have to leave the room, like yeah. that type of thing. Um, kind of, you said before you are a trauma of money facilitator. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because we have we did an episode on trauma and how, mm-hmm. you know, trauma doesn't have to be this huge life yes. event. It does it, It's not like trauma is like not a micro trauma you can it can be a micro trauma it can be repetitive traumas and I feel like that is exactly what money is for a lot of people just this repetitive micro trauma yeah no for sure so yeah I'm a trauma money facilitator which means I'm not a therapist so I'm not going to try to pretend that I am but what getting that certification allowed me to do is really go in depth into a deeper understanding of my client's relationship with money, right? Because I was always interested in the behavioral aspect. I was like, well, we all know the knowledge of financial literacy, spend less than what what you earn, budget properly, pay off your debt, all these things. Yet people don't do them. And I was like, why? What is it that's preventing people from utilizing that knowledge? And it all comes down to, um, yeah, like past experiences, your mindset, your nervous system, everything plays a factor because so an example is, um, say you grew up in a household where, yeah, money was a lack and going to the grocery store was, you know, an, an ordeal because you weren't sure if you could afford everything um, in your cart. So you're at the checkout, your mom can't afford everything. So you're putting groceries back. Right. And so it's just like that instills a memory in the body of just, okay, like this is really embarrassing. I don't have enough money. Like all these people le- looking at us. And so, like you said, it's like a micro thing. It's not it's not a huge event, but at that time, yes, it is. Um, and then you kind of carry that forward, that embarrassment, that shame around not having money. And so that can manifest as overspending when you're older, right? To compensate for the fact that you couldn't spend when you were younger or making sure that other people don't see your financial struggle. So you show up and pay for things. And um, even if it's against like, um, not in the interest of your well-being. Um, and so one concept that we learned about was the window of resilience. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, yeah. uh, but basically it's a scale from zero to 10, or sorry, one to 10. Um, and that between four to seven, it's an optimal range of how your nervous system is optim- is in optimal state. And outside of that, so from like one to three and seven to 10, sorry, the numbers are confusing me, mm-hmm. um, you're dysregulated, right? So you're in a state, you're in a state of hyperarousal. And how that impacts your spending is if you're stressed, you're tired, if you're happy and excited, um, all those things impact your ability to make a rational decision. So when you think about when um, when you are stressed or tired, you're spending habits in that moment, you might be more inclined to grab dinner on the go, get takeaway, um, buy yourself that shirt online that you don't really need, but you just need something to just relieve the stress in the moment. Um, and so when our nervous system is dysregulated, um, our ability to make decisions is also uh, dysregulated. And so that's, I think, the key to unlocking those Im- the idea of impulse purchases and um, really feeling in control of your spending habits. Nice. That's so interesting. Um, like, I feel like that's one thing that is never really kind of that those things are never really linked together. But um, you know, we've all kind of had that kind of like buyer's high and like buyer. Yeah course um when we regret like what we've bought when we were feeling like pretty fly with the cash um but yeah that's that's just so interesting to actually you know incorporate that kind of mindfulness into your habits a little bit more um I think one of the key things um that I like I would struggle with and I know a lot of my friends as well would be like 
avoidance. Like, yeah. I don't want to look at my bank account. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. Like, and yeah. I, I know I probably should go and like overhaul my my bills and look at what I'm spending. But, you know, that's just going to be super depressing. And I'm not ready to do that. Do you have any kind of tips um, for people who are maybe in a little bit of that kind of cycle of denial where they, they mm-hmm. do have debt, but they're kind of very entrenched in it that they, they're just in that bad pattern yeah. of ignoring it and pretending it's not there and hopefully it'll go away then. Yeah, for sure. Um, honestly, this is a problem I deal with, not a problem, but uh, an issue that I deal with a lot of my clients when it comes to debt or just getting in control of their finances altogether. Um, and for debt in particular, what I would ask and have my clients reflect on is what is this debt costing you besides interest and money, right? Like when you're looking at this debt and you're looking at your bank statements or whatever I mean, what feelings come up for you? Like what, what is that? Um, are you ashamed of it? Are you ashamed of the balance? Are you scared of it? Are you, what does it represent for you? Um, and if you were to pay off that debt, what would your life look like? Right. And so it's getting away from the numbers and the statistics and all that, and just focusing on the feeling and what your life could become if you were to turn towards the discomfort and face the music. Right. Cause if you're shying away, this problem isn't going to go away. It's going to remain there. If anything, it might get bigger because you're ignoring it. Um, and so you'll remain stuck where you are. Um, and so if you don't want to remain stuck anymore, then you have to turn towards the discomfort. The discomfort. Yeah, I think that's good Like to actually recognize it and be like, okay, this is an issue. And yeah, but that feeling of shame and kind of um, anxiety definitely takes over when there's any form of like money like again like we were saying like even talking about money for for some people can make them anxious never mind talking about mm-hmm. their debt and so keeping that inside and but maybe ignoring it like you were saying could definitely bubble it up and that kind of brings me to the next question in regards to COVID you know like I lost my job because of COVID I lost yeah. a lot of people lost their job due to COVID and I think you know I I did have a couple um know a couple of people who went through the same thing and they felt so much shame that they didn't have like a three or six month like emergency yeah and that kind of feeling of like oh I'm so stupid I don't have this and like feeling like before there was any form of like government assistance so that it was kind of that that real like blaming themselves for like not knowing there was going to be a pandemic Um, but yeah I was kind of I know who I'm sorry um how do you think kind of going through this and even if people didn't necessarily lose their jobs themselves, but just right. seeing other people go through that, do you think that will maybe shift people's um, mindset into like maybe making sure we have savings or maybe like maybe move into a different way of spending where you can like squirrel away a little bit more and maybe that like fear of spending? Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting pattern that I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing just how people's relationship with money does change after, like you said, a global pandemic. Um, my first you know, predicament would be that people would become more hoarders and that they would save more of their money rather than spend it, knowing of that of what just happened. However, we are a human race. And um, 
people are quick to kind of also forget what's happened and just kind of live in the moment. And so there may not be that real behavioral change that we're looking for. Um, that happened to a client of mine. Um, she wasn't spending out as much as she used to, obviously, because being indoors. She's like, yeah, but I just see that when, you know, things open up again, I'm just going to like splurge because I've been like deprived of it for so long. Right. And so I feel like that that's the opposite direction that a lot of people might be going. It's just like, oh, I've been so deprived. I'm just going to spend everything. Um, so the hope is that, yes, people do take the COVID pandemic as a gift of a warning of, you know, making sure that their finances are lined up. Um, and that they are secure and that they do have a cushion of savings to rely on because if something were to happen to their job, what would they do? Um, and so I think for some people, they lived through that experience and obviously it's a very traumatic one. And um, there's no shame in that. Like you were saying, um, if you didn't have an emergency at that point, fun at that point, that's okay. The point is that you build it now or that you're still in a moment of, a moment of survival and just trying to make things um, work for yourself. Um, but if you're in a privileged position where you still have your job and you witnessed all these other people lose theirs, that should serve as a warning to you to um, take advantage of this moment and begin saving. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I, I was lucky with my job that I was able to continue to work and I'm, I've been working from home for like the last six, seven months. It was supposed to be a week and then it turned into like mm -hmm. six months. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's definitely like, and even just seeing like the small businesses and, and just different organizations that have had to close their doors, like mm -hmm. it, it is an unprecedented situation, but it's also a pretty big wake up call as well for anyone that kind of thinks that things like this, you know, never happen or they don't need to have like that kind of pot of savings for an emergency. And I think that's definitely helped shift my mindset as well. Um, one of my questions was there's um, obviously a lot of kind of jargon and terminology associated with finances in general. Um, so from everything to like opening a bank account to getting a mortgage, those kind of things. Um, what would your advice be for someone who wanted to become more financially literate and just understand a little bit more so that they weren't really intimidated by all those kind of terms? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think we live in a world where the internet is, you know, our best resource. And so I find that a lot of YouTube videos are really good about personal finances, um, blogs, podcasts. I mean, you type in personal finance for Canadians or whoever it might be, you'll lead a bunch of hits. And so I think to start with, that's a really great way to introduce yourself to those things because you're in the safe space of your own home or wherever you are um, and there's no judgment and you're just sitting there learning. And I think the next step from that is involving to seeking help. So whether that's from a money coach, private coach, financial advisor, whoever it might be, um, that would be your next rule, uh, next sort of step up. So it's all about uh, finding those resources that work for you. Um, and honestly, just taking action at this point. If you watch one YouTube video about investing, right? Like you haven't done that forever in your life. You're going to learn something. And so it's just, it's building up that micro knowledge um, throughout. Yeah. That kind of um, segues into like working with yourself or another money coach. What does that look like? Um, like what, like what does, like, is it one session with you? Do you work with each other for a period of time? And then 
like what just if you give us a rundown of maybe because I've never worked with a money coach no, before yeah. so just to yeah. kind of know what it looks like yeah for sure so I can talk about my own program um itself uh, so it's a three-month coaching program with it you get three calls with me uh the first one is a 90 minute and then the subsequent ones are an hour each but in between you get access to me you know within business hours to leave messages or connect with me about any questions that you have in between sessions um the way it works is that we'll kind of go through your first session about it's a financial audit, right? We're reviewing everything in your past um, in terms of your spending habit, gathering all information about your debt, your income, what you bring in. It's a lot of information gathering and a lot of reflection work that I'll put on the client for them to go through and understand where um, they spent their money in the past and understanding where we can maximize sort of allocation and take money away from stuff that they regret it or really value. And so that's typically the first session. And then we kind of get into setting their financial goals um, when they work with me, whether that's paying off their debt, building that emergency fund, et cetera. And what I also do is that I provide an overview of their finance at the point. Because at that point, I've seen everything. I know where the money's going. I know what accounts they have set up. And I provide recommendations. And so if I see someone spending 20 bucks a month on a banking account that doesn't even serve them, I'm telling them to get rid of that. Because that's a $20 money leak that you could be using towards either building your savings or like giving more money to spend elsewhere. Um, and so I do that intentional audit for them so they get an expert lens on what their uh, current financial situation is. And then in between the next session is we get into uh, money disorders um, and the money narrative aspect. And so that is where we do a lot more of the mindset work. Uh, what did you learn growing up? How, what, how are you showing up with money today based on what you've learned in your past and working through that? Um, I have my clients go through an assessment, which is a money disorder assessment, um, which isn't mine. It's by a, a psychologist named Dr. Uh, Brad Klontz. Um, and we review those as part of their overall holistic financial health. Because um, at the end of the day, the way they're behaving and showing up with money isn't because they don't know enough. There are other factors that are at play. And so I really make sure that we address that in our sessions together. And then our final one is just a wrap up call in general, but also an opportunity for them to ask me any sort of lingering sort of financial questions that they have. But it's also for me to set them up for a long term strategy, right? I just want to make sure that when they leave me, they have all the tools and equipment necessary to um, implement and uh, keep going moving forward. So I provide them all the budgets, the spreadsheets, all the good stuff. But if there's any other lingering strategy um, or questions they have, they can ask me. So. That's amazing. I feel like just listening to you say all that, I'm like, everybody needs a money coach, like literally everyone. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's that's so interesting. And I love that it covers like the really practical, um, helpful side of things. And then it also covers the the um like the habits and the patterns and the mindset side of things as well, which is equally as important because that obviously informs the behavior. Um so you mentioned just the small kind of changes, like, um, you know, if you're paying money or paying fees on a bank account and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the big things um, I struggle with anyway is like, if I am paying that money, I'm like, oh, well, it's only like $20. Yeah. Not going to make a difference. And yeah. it's kind of shifting that attitude to like, yes, every every cent does count. Mm -hmm. Um but do you have any tips on other kind of everyday changes that maybe crop up a lot for you and your clients that people can make or like just like tips for how they can kind of start to siphon that money off into 
a savings account that they might just be carelessly spending somewhere that they don't really need to spend? Yeah, for sure. I think the first thing is just doing that financial audit for yourself, right? Checking what subscriptions that you have monthly that's taking money out of your account, stuff like that. And if you can cancel any of them, that's the first most easy one. Um, Then it's removing your credit card information and stuff like that from saved websites that you are known to shop at. So Amazon, Uber, et cetera, like let's do a cleanse, let's put that all on pause. Um, Because obviously in a world where everything's contactless and you're punching in or clicking a number to buy something, you don't feel that purchase right? Like it it feels so absent-minded. And so what we want to do is make sure that you become more mindful of the way you spend with money. And and so the way to do that is by either paying physical cash or by using like a debit card. That money is being taken right out of your account right away. And so you'll feel that. Um, So that's another trick that I have my clients do is switching over to using a debit card, not necessarily a credit card, um, to make everyday purchases as well. I love that. I love that. I feel like I need to get rid of Apple Pay <laughs> on my phone. Because <laughs> yeah. it's so true. It's like, it's so, it's too easy. Like you literally can just point your phone and it's done and you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that's like a struggle that our parents and grandparents never had before. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's so important as well. Because yeah, it's it's a world of convenience. And when you're not even thinking about what you're spending, obviously mm-hmm. that's going to create issues. Yeah, I love the term money leak that you used. Yeah, too. I think it's like very descriptive and real. Yeah, yeah, like and like you said, all those like small, small um subscriptions that you have, like they really add up. Like just when you were talking about Netflix, I was like, okay, I've got Netflix, Prime TV, Apple TV, because you're like, oh, yeah. they're only like ten dollars a month, mm-hmm. and then. I don't yeah. need cable. And I'm then add- like, I don't even watch TV that much. <laughs> <laughs> and then add them together. And that's exactly what you yeah. were paying for cable before. Yeah. So yeah, definitely money leaks. Would be yeah. good. Or, or subscriptions that you've forgotten about. Yes. And um, also like the terrible free trial. yeah Yeah, and that's not to say that you need to get rid of netflix and spotify if that's what brings you most enjoyment right Mm -hmm. so like the number one thing that i think i hate what traditional financial gurus and stuff say out there is that you can't enjoy your daily coffee or latte if you're in debt or if you're struggling with money it's like no like let me live first of all and also if I deprive myself and if I see my clients deprive themselves of that enjoyment, they're going to make a worse decision at some point. They're going to blow up. I did that. Um, and so it's important that you make those strategic decisions for yourself that are really intentional, but also bringing the most happiness. Like if that is your daily cup of coffee, go get it. Like I'm not going to judge you for it because we have a plan in place where your debt and your savings, everything's all taken care of mm-hmm. and you're going to spend this money however you're going to spend it. Um, and so it's just like, oh, it frustrates me when people are like, oh, I need to like give up my life. Um, and it's like, no, we can find a balance. It's just, um, finding the correct resources to do that for you. Let me live. Let me get my latte. I love that. (laughs) Um, It does bring me a lot of joy. It does. Yeah. Um, and so one thing that's kind of cropping up for me right now, so I'm 28, um, is that, you know, you're thinking there's so many financial ways that you're pulled. So it's like trying to save, trying to pay off any debt. Um, and so you're like splitting your money that way. There's general living costs. And then now I'm like, 
oh, I'm 20. I'm, everyone's telling me I should have started saving for my retirement like yeah. eight years ago. And so now this is like my next stress. I'm like, okay, but everything's already split. I have a plan. Like, yeah. how do I make, like, I just wanted to ask you more about retirement when we should start thinking about it, like realistically. I know everything out there says as early as possible. Yeah. But, but even if you could, like I know maybe not give advice but maybe like a percentage of your paycheck or an idea or somewhere to look just to find out more because it's something that you know I hadn't really started to think about until recently yeah um so look everyone's situation is different right and especially for people in their 20s it's such a decade of change for us you know we graduate school we come out with student loan debt then we get a job and like we're trying to figure out this whole financial adulting thing. Um, and then at some point people were like, wait, you're supposed to learn X, Y, Z. And we never did. Um, and it's also a time period of like really big life events. So you might be again paying off that student loan, saving for a down payment, a wedding, whatever it might be. And so there's a lot of big cost in this time period. So my general blanket advice, and again, I don't know everyone, anyone's specific situation here is just, if you have, more immediate financial goals like a down payment, like you know a wedding or something that's really big, save up for those first, because you're rather than um, retirement because you are still young. So a part of the retirement or RRSP, which is the Canadian Retirement um, Registered Retirement Savings Fund, mm -hmm. is that or plan is that it reduces your taxed owed, right? But if you're 25 making 40k a year that's probably not your highest income earning years you might hit that at 34 when you're making 80k and then at that point it makes sense to put more money into your rsp because you're trying to reduce the amount of money that the government takes from you and so it's always a strategic factor that people don't take into effect um, when we're thinking about rsp yes does it make sense to start early absolutely if you have a employer match program which is when your employer also feeds into your retirement account as a benefit, absolutely take advantage of that. I don't care what you have going on. Make sure you match so that you get that free money. But it's okay if you can't fully fund a retirement fund in your late 20s. Um, you have your 30s, your 40s, your 50s to do that. Um, obviously, start in your 30s. Um, I would say that. <laughs> like, don't be on that. But it's so hard. Like you said, like you already have your money split so many multiple ways because you have different goals or whatever coming up. That you're like, well, how am I supposed to save for this thing? Um, to which I would say even 10 bucks a month is fine. Like $20 a month. Like if you can put that away, put that away. Um, it'll sit there and grow. So. Yeah, I love that. That's good advice. Um, yeah, I guess we... Uh... Unless you have anything else you want to ask. No, I'm, so, I'm ready for it. Um, I feel like we could probably go on for a long oh, time, sure. but yeah. <laughs> conscious of your time as well. So, um, yeah, we ask everybody who comes on the podcast to give us their top three healthy habits that they do mm. every day. So things that you do, maybe they're like little rituals or little um, morning routines or whatever, whatever it is that just makes you feel good and makes you feel like you're healthiest happiest self we'd love to hear yours yeah and it doesn't have, it can be like health like financial health mm -hmm. as well like not just <laughs> yeah yeah um I'm a wellness like not freak but I love everything wellness and so like for me my green smoothies is like my 
absolutely need to do that every day. Um, and so I, like, again, coming down to my values, right? Like I pay for this organic supplement brand or whatever, um, because that's what, that's what I value. I value my health. I value spending money on that. I don't value new shoes, whatever. Right. And so it kind of comes down to making that decision for yourself. Um, yeah, my green smoothie. Um, I love going for my daily walks. I'm not a, a gym person. I recognize that early. And so any movement I think for me is just like a win. So for me, it's my walks. Um, and the last thing is, I guess that's one that's money related. Um, is that I always check my bank accounts, not to freak myself out, but also just to know where I'm at. Right. And so it's like, okay, how much do I have left to spend until my next paycheck? Okay, cool. That much sweet. What did money go in the past couple of days? Okay. Yeah. Went there. I made that intentionally stuff like that. Um, and so I don't try to ignore my money. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Nice. I like the check your bank account because a lot of people that gives them so much anxiety, but if you just did it every day, it's like, okay, this is it. I'm aware yeah. of it. It's okay. Yeah. Like just, just yeah. check your bank account. <laughs> yeah. Don't like yeah. leave it and wait for like really bad news someday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I love those. Thanks so much for sharing those with us. As I said, like we probably could have made this like two hours long, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's been such a great chat with you. And so the the one thing that I've got from it is that like, it's, it's really empowering to take control of your finances and to not shy away from those kind of sometimes uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. or sometimes uncomfortable truths that you might not want to face but I guess like it's never too late to to mm-hmm. do that and yes. just do it early and don't make it the monster that you don't want to look at just face it yeah. head on exactly and I think for me like a model that I live by is just like your financial state and situation isn't permanent right like it can change it just yeah. it'll take work but it can change and so a lot of people get stuck in that oh this is it this is what my life's going to be like it's like, no, if you invest in yourself and you commit to change, it will change. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on and answering all of our questions. Yeah, I think we could have split each of those topics into their own episode. Yeah. Um, but that was amazing. Yeah. I, I didn't really know what a money coach was. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I love That's it. So good. Thank you so much for your time and, and sharing all your tips and your financial wisdom with us and we'll share um do you want to share your information of where people can yeah. reach out to you if they want to work with sure. you? yeah so uh you can find me on instagram um at perlene.mander um in the link in my bio you'll find my website which is thewealthywolf.ca go there dm me chat with me um i've just launched my one-on-one private coaching and so if you are interested in that definitely apply um I also have a free resource if you're just looking for quick wins in like your day-to-day. Um, again, available through my website that you can find. Um, and yeah, in general, that's where that's where you can find me. And so yeah. <laughs> perfect. You guys. Yeah. Yeah. We'll um put all that info in our show notes. So that will be linked yeah. there too. Yeah. So people can find you. And yeah, thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks, guys.